Modern World History, Patterns of Interaction Chapter 6, Section 4, The American Revolution Setting the Stage Philistophs such as Voltaire considered England's government the most progressive in Europe. The Glorious Revolution of 1688 had given England a constitutional monarchy. In essence, this meant that various laws limited the power of the English king. Despite the views of the philosophes, however, a growing number of England's colonists in North America accused England of tyrannical rule. Emboldened by Enlightenment ideas, they would attempt to overthrow what was then the mightiest power on earth and create their own nation. Britain and its American Colonies Throughout the 1600s and 1700s, British colonists had formed a large and thriving settlement along the eastern shore of North America. When George III became King of Great Britain in 1760, his North American colonies were growing by leaps and bounds. Their combined population soared from about 250,000 in 1700 to 2,150,000 in 1770, a nearly ninefold increase. Economically, the colonies thrived on trade with the nations of Europe. Along with increased, increasing population and prosperity, a new sense of identity was growing in the colonists' mind. By the mid-1700s, colonists had been living in America for nearly 150 years. Each of the 13 colonies had its own government, and people were used to a great deal or degree of independence. Colonists saw themselves less as British and more as Virginians or Pennsylvanians. However, they were still British subjects and were expected to obey British law. In 1651, the British Parliament passed a trade law called the Navigation Act. This and subsequent trade laws prevented colonists from selling their most valuable products to any country except Britain. In addition, colonists had to pay high taxes on imported French and Dutch goods. Nonetheless, Britain's policies benefited both the colonies and the motherland. Britain also or Britain uh, bought American raw materials for low prices and sold manufactured goods to the colonists. And despite various British trade restrictions, colonial merchants also thrived. Such a spirit of relative harmony, however, would soon change. Americans win independence. In 1754, war erupted on the North American continent between the English and the French. As you recall, the French also had colonized parts of North America throughout the 1600s and the 1700s. The conflict was known as the French and Indian War. The name stems from the fact that the French enlisted numerous Native American tribes to fight on their side. The fighting lasted until 1763, when Britain and her colonists emerged victorious and seized nearly all French land in North America. The victory, however, only led to growing tensions between Britain and its colonists. In order to fight the war, Great Britain had run up a huge debt. Because American colonists benefited from Britain's victory, Britain expected the colonists to help pay the cost of the war. In 1765, Parliament passed the Stamp Act. According to this law, colonists had to pay a tax to have an official stamp put on wills, deeds, newspapers, and other printed material. American colonists were outraged. They had never paid taxes directly to the British government before. Colonial lawyers argued 
that the stamp tax violated colonists' natural rights, and they accused the British government of taxation without representation. In Britain, citizens consented to taxes through their representatives in Parliament. The colonists, however, had no representation in Parliament. Thus, they argued they could not be taxed. Growing hostility leads to war. Over the next decade, hostilities between the two sides increased. Some colonial leaders favored independence from Britain. In 1773, to protest the import tax on tea, a group of colonists dumped a large load of British tea into Boston Harbor. George III, infuriated by the Boston Tea Party, as it was called, ordered the British Navy to close the port of Boston. Such harsh tactics by the British made enemies of many moderate colonists. In September 1774, representatives from every colony except Georgia gathered in Philadelphia to form the First Continental Congress. This group protested the treatment of Boston. When the king paid little attention to their complaints, the colonies decided to form the Second Continental Congress to debate their next move. On April 19, 1775, British soldiers and American militiamen exchanged gunfire on the village green in Lexington, Massachusetts. The fighting spread to nearby Concord. The Second Continental Congress voted to raise an army and to organize for battle under the command of a Virginian named George Washington. The American Revolution had begun. The Influence of the Enlightenment Colonial leaders used Enlightenment ideas to justify independence. The colonists had asked for the same political rights as people of Britain, they said but the king had stubbornly refused. Therefore, colonists were justified in rebelling against a tyrant who had broken the social contract. In July 1776, the Second Continental Congress issued the Declaration of Independence. This document, written by political leader Thomas Jefferson, was firmly based on the ideas of John Locke and the Enlightenment. The Declaration reflected these ideas in its eloquent argument for natural rights. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, End quote. Since Locke had asserted that people had the right to rebel against an unjust ruler, the Declaration of Independence included a long list of George III's abuses. The document ended by declaring the colonists' separation from Britain. The colonies the Declaration said, quote, are absolved from all alliances or allegiance to the British Crown, end quote. Success for the colonists. The British were not about to let their colonies leave without a fight. Shortly after the publication of the Declaration of Independence, the two sides went to war. At first glance, the colonists seemed destined to go down in a quick defeat. Washington's ragtag, poorly trained army faced a well-trained force of the most powerful country in the world. In the end, however, the Americans won their war for independence. Several reasons explain the colonists' success. First, the Americans' motivation for fighting was much stronger than that of the British, since their army was defending their homeland. Second, the overconfident British generals made several mistakes. Third, time itself was on the side of the Americans. The British could win battle after battle, as they did, and still lose the war. Fighting an overseas war 3,000 miles from London was terribly expensive. After a few years, tax-weary British citizens called for peace.
finally, the Americans did not fight alone. Louis the sixth. Louis XVI of France had little sympathy for the ideals of the American Revolution. However, he was eager to weaken France's rival, Britain. French entry into the war in 1778 was decisive. In 1781, a combined force of about 9,500 Americans and 7,800 French trapped a British army commanded by Lord Cornwallis of Yorktown, uh, near Yorktown, Virginia. Unable to escape, Cornwallis eventually surrendered, the Americans had shocked the world and won their independence. Americans create a republic. Shortly after declaring their independence, the 13 individual states recognized the need for a national government. As victory became certain, all 13 ratified a constitution in 1781. This plan of government was known as the Articles of Confederation. The Articles established the United States as a republic, a government in which citizens rule through elected representatives a weak national government. To protect their authority, the 13 states created a loose confederation in which, they in which they held most of the power. Thus, the Articles Confederation deliberately created a weak national government. There were no executive or judicial branches. Instead, the Articles established only one body of government, the Congress. Each state, regardless of size, had one vote in Congress. Congress could declare war, enter into treaties, and coin money. It had no power, however, to collect taxes or regulate trade. Passing new laws was difficult because laws needed the approval of nine of 13 states. These limits on the national government soon produced many problems. Although the new national government needed money to operate, it could only request contributions from the states. Angry Revolutionary War veterans bitterly complained that Congress still owed them back pay for their services. Meanwhile, several states issued their own money. Some states even put tariffs on goods from neighboring, neighboring states. A new constitution. Colonial leaders eventually recognized the need for a strong national government. In February 1787, Congress approved a constitutional convention to revise the Articles of Confederation. The constitutional convention held its first session on May 25, 1787. The 15 delegates were experienced statesmen who were familiar with the political theories of Locke, Montesquieu, and Rousseau. Although the delegates shared basic ideas of government, they sometimes disagreed on how to put them into practice. For almost four months, the delegates argued over important questions. Who should be represented in Congress? How many representatives should each state have? The delegates, deliberated, the delegates deliberations produced not only compromises, but also new approaches to governing. Using the political ideas of the Enlightenment, the delegates created a new system of government. The Federal System Like Montesquieu, the delegates distrusted powerful central government controlled by one person or group. They therefore established three separate branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. This setup provided a built-in system of checks and balances with each branch checking the actions of the other two. For example, the president received the power to veto legislation passed by Congress. However, the Congress could override a presidential veto with the approval of two-thirds of its members. Although the Constitution created a strong central government, it did not eliminate local governments. Instead, the Constitution set up a federal system in which power was divided between national and state governments. The Bill of Rights 
the delegates signed the new Constitution on September 17, 1787. In order to become law, however, the Constitution required approval by conventions in at least nine of the 13 states. These conventions were marked by sharp debate. Supporters of the Constitution were called Federalists. They argued, in their famous work, the Federalist Papers, that the new government would provide a better balance between national and state powers. Their opponents, the Anti-Federalists, feared that a Constitution gave the central government too much power. They also wanted a Bill of Rights to protect the rights of individual citizens. In order to gain support, the Federalists promised to add a Bill of Rights to the Constitution. This promise cleared the way for approval. Congress formally added the Constitution to the Constitution the Ten Amendments known as the Bill of Rights. These amendments protected basic rights as freedom of speech, press, assembly, and religion. Many of these rights had been advocated by Voltaire, Rousseau, and Locke. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights marked a turning point in people's ideas about government. Both documents put Enlightenment ideas into practice. They expressed an optimistic view that reason and reform could prevail and that progress was inevitable. Such optimism swept across the Atlantic. However, the monarchs and the privileged classes didn't give up power and possession and position easily. As chapter 7 explains, the struggle to attain the principles of the Enlightenment led to violent revolution in France.